I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the 2020 Network, brought to you by Interac. For nearly 35 years, Interac has brought the most innovative payment technology to Canada. Today, Interac is building on its track record of innovation in some new and exciting ways. Find out how they're changing the game at developer.interac.ca. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know more about the United Federation of Planets than I do about the European Union. And that's kind of a problem. So that's why I'm inviting really smart people onto this show to explain things to me like I'm five. I was scrolling through Twitter the other day, and I saw a tweet that mentioned a no-deal Brexit scenario. And I thought to myself, I mean, I kind of know what that means, but I don't really know what that means. And, and the reason that I don't know what it means is I understand the part where uh, the United Kingdom was part of the European Union and they had a referendum and they decided to leave it. But I don't understand what the European Union does. I don't understand why the United Kingdom was part of it in the first place. And I don't understand what motivated them to leave or why they're having so much trouble doing it. And so to help me out with that, I have Lauren Dobson Hughes joining me today. Lauren is a political consultant and also used to work in Westminster. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome, Aaron. Um, so what, what was it that you did in, in Westminster? I worked for the deputy leader of the Labour Party, Harriet Harman, um, working with her on policies around women and gender um, and in her constituency in South London. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, I, I need to start this with some really basic basics uh, because I need to know what is the European Union and who is in it? Okay, so the European Union came, let's go all the way back to World War II. And after World War II, everyone thought, we can't do this again. We need some sort of union or structure so that we can talk more often and we can be friends and so slowly over the next I'm skipping a lot of history here but slowly (laughs) over the next 60 years maybe the European Union that started as kind of a trading block became more of a social and cultural union it was the European Economic Community initially EEC Um, And then going towards 1979, the UK had a a referendum, actually, on whether we would deepen our engagement with with Europe. It phased into the European Union. There are initially the 12 members. There are now 27, soon to be 26, member countries. So it's expanded way beyond what was initially a very um, business, commerce, trade-focused small block into this really quite large and bureaucratic social, economic, cultural institution with 27 countries. And that's basically the European Union in a nutshell. Okay. And so it, it grew out of the, the end of the Second World War. What, what was the, the benefit at the time for the United Kingdom joining? It's funny because now you see a lot of left-wingers in the UK who support membership of the European Union. Previously, previous to sort of 1979-ish, 
Labour opposed membership of the European Union because they felt it was too commercial, too for high-flying business elites, um, really quite a small-c conservative union um, that was rigged by business interests. And it's sort of completely switched almost now. Britain's always had a really odd relationship with Europe. The famous thing that we always quote was um, a newspaper headline, The Sun, I think, that said, um, fog in the channel, that's the the sea between England and France, Right. Britain cut off. And this idea of Britain being an island, Britain having its links to the empire and to the Commonwealth. And so it's, Britain's always had one foot in, one foot out of Europe. There's sort of two tracks where you've had the European project that's very much France and Germany who have this really European identity that's only increased, I think, with Spain and Italy sort of in the periphery. And then you've had Britain that's always been very ambivalent. It didn't join the euro and it maintained its own currency, which was very important and was very much opposed by British people. Um, And so it's always had this in-out relationship with Europe where a love-hate one. It's benefited greatly, particularly um, agricultural regions or rural and deprived regions of of the UK. And then the post-industrial like mining communities have benefited enormously from the injection of cash. But then also this kind of, we're different, we're not European. We don't sit in roadside cafes eating croissants. (laughs) We have sausage rolls at Greg's. Thank you very much. Right, right. Okay. And so, <laughs> so then, um, what, what started the push to leave? Has that, has that been like a consistent, um, sort of, uh, because you're talking about in the, in the late seventies, um, the, the labor opposition to, to being part of the European union, has there always been some kind of push to leave? The Tory party, so the conservatives, interestingly, have always been split in the last probably 50 years every single leader that has spun out of the conservative party so been stabbed in the back and thrown out off the deck has done so over europe thatcher major cameron now possibly theresa may europe has been at the heart of the divisions between the conservative party for 50 years So there's always been this simmering unhappiness, this feeling that Europe is too bureaucratic, it's too untransparent, um, it's not accountable enough. People don't engage or understand what Europe does. You know, if you have your crack in your pavement, you go to your local council. You know, if you're having problems with your tax system, you go to your MP. Um, But what does Europe do? What do your elected officials in Europe do? It just seems very foreign and distant and far away to British people. Mm -hmm. Um, So fast forward all the way to David Cameron a few years ago. I think as maybe the world started to shift right and we saw the rise of some of the populist right, um, right, David Cameron started getting pressure from his right flank from UKIP. So the UK Independence Party, which essentially wants to be independent, quote-unquote. And so basically to kind of assuage this faction on his right, worried that he's going to lose votes to it, David Cameron says, fine, we'll have a referendum on European membership. And nobody thought that the vote would go the way it did. 
And, uh, and, and how did the vote go? The Labour Party was split on the referendum too. It's widely believed that Corbyn, who is the leader of the Labour Party, is a lever. From back in okay. the day, from back in the 70s when Labour... Right, right was opposed to the European Union. So it was all over the place. And what were the results like? Was it like a really strong um, endorsement of leaving or was it like a squeaker? You wouldn't know that now. The way the way it's now described, it was described as Britain has voted decisively to leave. It was 52-48. Okay. And Scotland overwhelmingly voted to remain, as did... Wales and Northern Ireland, I believe. Um, so there were. It was a very divided. London itself was strongly Remain. You would have where you already have a separatist movement in Scotland, and to a certain extent Wales, and Northern Ireland is its own other kettle of fish. What the result has done um, to the, of the Brexit refer- referendum is increased calls for separatism and for the sovereignty are Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland who don't want to be part of an England that is leaving the European Union. Right. Okay. And and so that's I was actually going to ask um, what some of the complexities of this uh, are going to be. Uh, before we get to that, I, I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics, though, um, because uh, a referendum happened and the, the country voted 52 to 48 to, to, to leave. What happens next do they send a letter to the european union like how does one how does one break up with the european union to break up with the european union you do indeed send them a note you do not ask your friend to pass it during class it does not get <laughs> hidden in anyone's backpack but you do send them a formal note to say we are triggering what is called article 50 and that's the breakup clause of your relationship you can trigger that whenever you like. You know, you can be a bit unhappy for a while. You've told your friends you're breaking up with them. You've, you've in your head, you've broken up with them. You've written it in your diary. But you're going to hold off on sending the actual note for a bit. You both know that something's not right anymore. And you probably know where this is headed. But you're just not ready to pull the plug yet. <laughs> right. Britain pulled the plug and sent this letter, this Article 50 notification, pretty early. So before it really had any idea what it wanted, when you're so entangled, let's say it's not just a high school relationship, this is like a 30-year marriage. You have four kids, six houses, two dogs, joint pensions. You know, you're really entangled. Everything you do largely relies on the other person or the other other union. So you want to be careful before you file the divorce papers you know who gets the house what about the kids what schedule are we doing how are we dividing our pension i hate your car i'm not having it all of that conversation none of that happened britain just sent the breakup notice right and then europe came back and said okay you want to get out you've started a clock now you've started a two-year time time clock so at midnight european time which is the best bit on march 29th 2019 we are done after that you go back to nothing it's like we never existed so we started a clock ticking we are now 
about 1500 hours or 65 days from that clock dinging to say we're done. Right. And and so this is why we're hearing more and more about it right now because we are in the last the last couple of months before the you know the timer ends. But what has to get done because you were talking about, you know, in a breakup of a relationship dividing up that property, like what property is there to divide up between the European Union and the United Kingdom? After 60 years of slow steady integration, pretty much everything needs dividing. <laughs> so, you know, just off the top of my head, um, Europol, the European police, are we part of that anymore? If not, do we have our own police, you know, Interpol type relationship? We need to reestablish that. Food, about 70% of British food comes from Europe. There are millions of trucks that come through the from France to the UK every single day they have now had to turn a highway a motorway miles of it we're talking like 20 miles of a highway into a car park a lorry truck because each of those trucks will need inspecting now because when Britain was part of a free trade area people and goods passed largely unrestricted Now, every single one of those lorries will need checking what's inside, what's the tariff for it, who's paying the tariff. And they're saying that even an extra 10 seconds checking each lorry will cause tailbacks of 20 miles, 50 kilometers on either side of the border. Right. So there's food, (laughs) there's police, satellites. We share satellites. We share some of the military stuff. Um... Subsidies coming in to like farming communities and post-industrial mining communities that will go. Um, Tariffs on things like car parts or um, aeroplane manufacturers. So where each of the pieces of the goods are made all around Europe, including in the UK, and then they're assembled. All of that goes. So, I mean, life is so integrated, not on a way that you know, you might experience in your daily life, walking to work, taking the bus, going, but all of the bits you get are also integrated with Europe. And it's like, you know, your dad's been telling you that you need to do your homework for the last five days and it's one hour to midnight and your homework's due. And your dad's like, have you done it yet? And you're like, no, oh God, I haven't done my homework. And you can't do it in an hour. But your dad's been telling you for two weeks that this is going to happen. It's like that, but two years. Okay. Um, and so that does explain why this has been so so complex. Um, I saw something in the – a couple of times there have been proposals that have been voted down for, for, how, for how this is going to work. What, what are those proposals, and why are, they, why are they not passing? One of the big issues is Northern Ireland – So Northern Ireland shares a border with ERA, the Republic of Ireland. And for those who have a remote passing interest or knowledge of Ireland, you would know that that's a very contentious part of UK. And the troubles in Northern Ireland go back centuries. The 
peace that has been maintained in Northern Ireland since what's called the Good Friday Agreement, which was signed on Good Friday in 1998, I believe, um, under the Tony Blair government. Since then, there has not been a real flare-up of sectarian violence, but that peace agreement is predicated on no border, really, between Ireland and Northern Ireland. So people go back and forth. Like, they're in the middle of the road. The border is like... One house is on one side and another house is on the other side of the border. Right, right. So if you put a customs union in, suddenly all of that cross-border traffic, quote-unquote, so people walking across the street, that needs checking. You need border posts there. You need security guards. You need someone to check your customs stuff. Every car needs checking. That would largely destroy Northern Ireland peace. Is this this is because the Northern Ireland and Ireland Ireland is then in the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland is not? Other way round. Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Right, okay, got it. And Ireland Ireland is part of the European Union and uses the euro. Right, and they're, they have not, and they have made no move to leave the European Union. They're part of the European Union. They are firmly part of the European Union. They benefit greatly from it, and their Taoiseach, their sort of president, prime minister, um, has been very clear that they are not accommodating the UK. They have their position. Okay. They're part of Europe, and it is if Britain wants to leave, Britain needs to solve the issue of the border problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And so far, there's been no... We've had all sorts of a backstop, which basically means delaying the problem for a few years until we can come up with another magical solution. Um, But that's currently... So, so Theresa May had several plans. She had checkers over the last summer, which Mm -hmm. was shot down by the hardline Brexiteers. She's had a variety of versions of checkers, which were also shut, shut down. She then had the agreement that was eventually negotiated with the European Union and agreed by the other 26 that she took to Parliament, which from the get-go was going to be shut, shut down. There is no majority in Parliament for her deal. So we're now in a situation where she's contorted herself into this ridiculous shape that almost pleases nobody. It still really hasn't solved the Northern Ireland border issue. And in any case, Parliament voted it down. Some of them voted it down because it wasn't enough. Some of them voted it down because it was too much. Right. Others voted it down because they just don't know what they want, but they don't like her. Oh, dear. <laughs> and so what, what happens next then? What's the, is it like just more proposals until, until the clock runs down? And what happens if the clock runs down and nothing's in place? No deal is what happens by default, so you're just kind of, you're walking along towards a cliff and you're on automatic pilot. You're in a car. The car has a brick on its gas pedal. So it's just going. And on the 29th of March at midnight, it will fall off that cliff. Right. Somebody needs to do something to stop the car driving off the cliff. So the cliff is no deal. If we go off the cliff, if it's no deal, we go straight back to so world trade organization terms. So we're treated no differently than any other country in the world that doesn't have a trade deal with the European Union. 
and we're not allowed to negotiate a trade deal while Brexit talks are ongoing. So Britain can't sign any deals with right, like Canada or US. Got or it, got it. Yeah. It has to leave first and then it can negotiate. So it would be catastrophic. I mean, the Bank of England, Chamber of Commerce, like it will hit GDP by noticeable points and unemployment will go up. The people are stockpiling food. They're right, stockpiling right. medicines. We are, Britain is now the largest purchaser of fridges in order to store and stockpile medications cold. Oh my goodness. Right, because everything will just end up being that much more expensive to either get into or out of the country. Expensive or impossible. Right. And employers are leaving. Big employers, big manufacturers, um, who often set up in deprived areas because it's cheaper for them, are moving offshore because they don't see that their business is viable anymore. You will see businesses closing en masse because it's just not economically viable for them to to keep going. They either won't be able to get the supplies or get their raw materials, um, or it'll be too expensive for them to do so. And is there any scenario where the country just reverses course and says, this wasn't a good idea, we have to think about it more, let's start all of this over again? Or is this a, they have to do it because they said they were going to do it? Part of me thinks in a really British way, it would be great if we were just like, you know, let's just pretend this didn't happen. It's all very <laughs> embarrassing. It was like that time you got drunk at Uncle Bob's house and you did the the limbo and you fell over and you whacked your head and we'll all just pretend it didn't happen. And we'll all go back to, to normal in a terribly British sort of stiff upper lip way. Right. And I think that would be a great, great idea, really. Um, but no, the, the alternatives at the moment... So Theresa May's got her plan B, which is a bit shaky, and she's running out of road to get it through. Right. It's looking like there's increasing talk that Britain will need an extension to Article 50. So that cliff edge will try and put a bit more roadway on it. Right. But that needs the European Union to consent. We can't do that unilaterally. We can't just say, oh, we're going to take an extra three months. We have to negotiate that. Right. And the thing is, I don't know that then it's in the, the like, how does the European Union feel about all of this? Are they, would they be inclined to, to offer an extension or are they just looking to say like, look guys, just, you said you're getting out, get out. So there was a really great tweet that's still one of my favorite tweets about Brexit. That's, um, the European Union cards European Union has a royal flush Britain looks at its cards it has Mr. Bun the Baker Pikachu <laughs> a two of clubs and an old blockbuster membership card that's pretty much the situation we're in so the European Union has been I mean I think sublimely confident calm very united very rational but it's been clear it needs to send a strong, strong signal that it doesn't want countries leaving the European Union. Right. That Britain holds none of the cards, despite thinking it holds all of the cards. 
And they've been quite frustrated that, you know, every time they've said, what do you want to do with clause 3.59 of the fishing agreement? And Britain has just yelled, sovereignty back in its face. And they're like, yes, I know that. Yes, you voted. Yes, you can have your sovereignty. How about the right, fishing we agreement? Need to, we need to deal with the fishing agreement now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, the Euro, if there's an actual plan, like we need three months extension because here is what we're going to do. Like when you're asking for a homework extension, if you're just like, I kind of would like more time just so I can like wander around, play some video games, maybe, you know, get, do a Sephora shopping spree. Your teacher's not inclined to grant you that. Right. If you're like, I need an extra week because I have an operation and then a recovery, and you know, you'll probably get that. Um, the other alternative that people are talking about is a second referendum, which is a little bit like we did. We either did a really daft thing the first time round and we want a do over, or we didn't like the result the first time round. Can we have another bash at it? Right, right. Or even the the kind of like knowing now what we know about what this process is going to entail, maybe we want to change our minds about it. Yes, except, you know, the danger of the first time David Cameron held a referendum with no plan for what happened if it went wrong. I'm not clear that holding another referendum with no plan for what happens if it goes wrong is the best option. What if right. Britain votes like, nope, we want to leave and we're willing to accept no deal. There was polling this week that showed that, of, I mean, not an exact sample, but 26% of British people thought that no deal, that's we exit the EU just flat out off a cliff edge, 26% of people thought no deal meant we stayed in the EU. Right. Right. I saw that, yes. So my confidence in my fellow... Britain is not terribly high. Wow. Well, so I mean this is this is complex and it doesn't sound like it's going to get any less complex anytime soon. No, I think we're crunching a lot of very complicated so if you drew one of those, you know, diagrams where it's like if this go this way, if that go what do you call them like a flowchart? Right. If yes, you drew yeah, that it would take up, you know, six rooms and have four million different options. So if anyone really tells you they know what's going to happen at this point, I would call them on that because there's just so many different possibilities. There's also, you know, Labour has already put up a no-confidence vote in Theresa May's government and lost, but there's the potential that that could change and... There's an, a general, you know, some people are saying a general election is what we need. We need to go back to the people for a mandate. There is currently no mandate to get anything through Parliament. Any of the sort of three or four or five different options to solve this, Parliament will not, does not have a majority for any of them. So we're at gridlock. And I think the thing too is going back to uh, having an election. Um, what you were saying before that even the parties themselves are split on leave and remain. Um, I, yeah, will that solve anything? I'm not clear an election will solve anything. And Labour's position on Brexit has been all over the shop. You know, there's 36 different scenarios, and they all suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I, I want to thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this. Um, if people are looking to hear more from you, where can they find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter at L. Dobson Hughes, which is pretty much where I share most of my thoughts about Brexit and feminism. If you want to learn about more about feminism, you can join me there too. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for this. Um, I feel I feel like more is clear. I feel like also that the picture is much more complicated than I ever expected it to be. Uh, and so, thank you for both you know clearing it up and muddying it up at the same time for me. You're very welcome. Thanks, Aaron. Speed is key for Canadian shoppers. Is your business keeping up? It can with Interact Flash. It's the platform that millions of Canadians use to check out quickly and securely. Learn more at interact.ca. Thank you.